the blessing of God falls on a community who makes every effort to maintain unity. The blessing of God, the favor of God, the anointing of God, insert any Pentecostal term you want in here, but the blessing of God falls, descends, rests, is found in a community who maintains unity. In fact, the very word community is common unity. Common unity. And as Paul begins Ephesians chapter 4, and we focus on unity this morning, it's important to understand that where there is unity, God is present, God is moving, God is operating in and through our lives together as a body of Christ. And so before we even talk about the gifts of Jesus or the gifts of the Spirit or what the church is meant to do, it's important to begin with unity. Because unity is the most important aspect of a church growing and maturing. It's all about unity. I'm going to say unity about a thousand times this morning. Because it's all about unity. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. The church is not merely a structured way of following rules and regulations and programs. It's not just a place to learn new things. It's not just a place to babysit our kids. It's not just that. It is a unified, diverse, and mature body of believers living out the purpose of God. It is a unified, diverse, and mature body of believers living out the purpose of God. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it exciting that God calls us to this divine partnership and he says, I'm gonna choose you, this group of wretched sinners <laughs> called by grace to new life and he says, you're going to be my partner in carrying out the greatest purpose the earth has ever seen. That he looks at us and he says, I have called you, Northside Church, my community. That we would be called to carry out the purpose of God. And so we begin in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And before we read this, I want to just pray quickly. I want to pray that the Lord would open up the eyes of our heart to understand what he wants to speak to us this morning. 
Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would rest upon us, that as we open your word, you would speak to us in new ways. We submit to the authority of your word, Lord. We submit to the direction of your word, Lord. We submit to the presence that we find in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. After I read that, I I, I paused and I said, am I living a life worthy of the calling? Do that with me. Ask yourself, am I living a life worthy of the calling? Do you know what happened in me when I asked myself that question? Immediately, what began to pop up in my mind is, am I giving enough? Am I serving enough? Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I going to church enough? What I began to list in my mind was a list of things that I do as if I am responsible for living a life worthy of the calling. And I made this list in my head. Am I living a life, am I walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling? And I don't know if you did the same thing, but I I began thinking about what makes my life worthy of the calling. And whatever list that we come up with right off the bat, I I think is unhealthy actually. Because we actually don't earn righteousness. In other words, there's nothing we can do to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And yet Paul tells us, you know, are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling? And so I began to think about what is this worthy walking that he's talking about? What is Paul talking about? Living a life worthy of the calling is not self-effort. Living a life worthy of the calling is Christ's effort. Living a life worthy of the calling is that I would live out what he has placed in. Living a life worthy of the calling is is not this struggle through life to do more for God. He doesn't need me to do anything. And then I began to think about what have I received? I have received love. I have received love from God. Am I living from that place of love? I've received grace from God. Am I gracious? I have received peace from God. Am I peaceful? I have received forgiveness from God. Do I forgive easy? And I began thinking about that a life worthy of the calling is that I would live my life from 
what I have received. That I would be gracious and peaceful. That I would be patient, forgiving. Worthy walking is that we live from what he has given to us. A life worthy of the calling is allowing Christ to live in me and through me. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, you're dead. Yeah. And now say, I'm dead. Good. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. It's interesting, it doesn't say effort. It's interesting it doesn't say striving. It's interesting it doesn't say self-reliance. It's interesting it doesn't say energy. It says faith. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead. For those visiting... I'm sorry. You can talk to your neighbor after just about me in general and they'll sort it out. But the point is, is that I think we work so hard to do and the saddest part about working so hard to do is eventually we, we actually ask the question not am I doing enough, but am I enough? Because we've forgotten this truth that we've been crucified with Christ. A couple weeks ago, we, we celebrated Easter. And we talked about the cross on Good Friday. And we talked about the resurrection on Sunday. And it was a wonderful time of celebration. But through that process, you also died. Through that process, you were also raised to new life. And so walking in a worthy manner, living a life that's worthy of the calling is, am I living from where Christ has, has brought me to? Am I living from a place of grace? Am I living from a place of peace, forgiveness, and love? And before we even extend these things to other people, we, we have to ask ourselves, Am I gracious to myself? <laughs> Am I gracious to myself? Do I extend grace to myself? Am I, am I at peace with myself? Do I forgive myself? Do I love myself? 
See, unity in a community actually begins with unity within. It's sorting out who you are in Christ. It's extending grace to yourself, finding peace yourself, loving yourself, forgiving yourself. Next, unity begins to include those around us, that a life worthy of the calling is one in community, in community. Our Christian walk is not an individual sport. As much as I love tennis, our Christian walk is a team sport. Our Christian walk is is not a solo opera singer. It's a choir. Can you imagine playing on a team of any kind and everybody is running in completely different directions? That's called five-year-old soccer. Have you ever observed this? The goal is that way, Billy. Billy, the goal, the goal. You're you're shooting in the other team's goal. Would everybody just move one direction? Okay, stop. Get back into a diamond formation. Let's start over. Sometimes church looks like five-year-old soccer because we don't have a direction and we don't have unity. Unity is the key for moving a community of people in a direction toward maturity. Unity is the key. The most important part of a church is becoming mature in the spirit. A community travels together, plays together, eats together, laughs together, cries together, worships together, prays together, studies together, hikes together, whatever together. The whole point of community is it's together. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6, be completely humble. You could just stop there and spend the rest of your life on that one. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Community has a certain look to it. Community has a certain swagger about it. Community has a certain feel. And Paul tells us what that feel is, beginning with humility. Community emphasizes humility. Now, where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus Humility was was actually looked down on. It was a weak trait. If you were humble, you were weak. In Greek culture, you had to be the best, show the best, reveal the best, be the richest, be the strongest, be the most beautiful, blah, blah, blah. 
Pride was rewarded, humility was not. And so when Paul is writing that the church is meant to be a community defined by humility, he's speaking against culture. Be humble. See, pride compares, humility serves. Pride compares, humility serves. Humility was dishonorable in the first century. I want to be humble. How many of you want to be humble? I don't want to let pride seep in. I don't want to think that I'm the most important person on this planet. A community, secondly, is defined by gentleness, he says. Be humble and gentle. Gentleness is the opposite of control. A community is defined by patience, he says. Not a life of hurry. Oh, just take a moment. Yeah. See, right after this service, many of us will be running off to things that we have to do. And that's fine. Soccer, barbecues, hallelujah, amen. It's almost barbecue season. Me too. Restaurants, this, that, friends, somewhere else. We rush out. And there's nothing wrong with rushing out or walking out or jogging out on our phone. There's nothing wrong with that. Got somebody to talk to. But you see, we're in such a hurry that we never actually find community. We're in such a hurry to go that we never connect. We're just not patient enough. Patient enough with the awkwardness of meeting new people. Patience with ourselves, patience with others. We're just in such a hurry to get nowhere. (laughs) And, and, And the Lord is reminding me that like, Community is patient, restful. I have time for you. I want to know who you are. How is your week? What's going on in your life? Let's go for coffee. How are your kids doing? What's going on in your life? That's community. That's community. A community is defined by love, not fear. Everything Paul uses to describe this unity is found in community. And he says this phrase that I can't shake. He says, make Every effort to maintain unity. 
Make every effort. Our sermon this morning is called The 101% Principle. Some of you are so thankful we've come to this point where you are going to hear what that means. It's been difficult for you to stay in community for this long. Paul says, make every effort to maintain unity. The 101% principle is from John Maxwell. And he says, find 1% that you agree on and put 100% of your effort into it. Find 1% that you agree on and put 100% of your effort into it. This principle will change the world. (laughs) This principle will change every relationship in your life. This principle will change every bit of conflict that you have with everyone. With husbands, wives, children, co-workers, enemies even, team members, students we sit next to in class. You see, what this principle is saying is it's saying make every effort to find common ground and put all of your effort into it. COVID-19 is not the greatest pandemic that exists in the world today. Division is. We're more socially divided than ever before, racially divided than ever before, politically divided than ever before, economically divided than ever before. We are more divided than ever before. And I think Paul is understanding this when he writes this, that it's going to be difficult for churches to maintain unity. Why would he refer to making every effort to maintain unity if unity was easy? There's currently 47,000 denominations in the Protestant arm of Christianity. 47,000 points of division. Jesus prays in John 17. This is not in your notes. I pray that they would be one. I pray that they would be unified as you and I are one, Father. I pray for them that they would be one. See, Paul understands something about the society we find ourselves in in 2022, which is what? That we would make every effort to maintain unity. I make no effort with people that I don't agree with. We'd rather be unified with those that match our Enneagram or those that match our personality type or those that are also introverts like we are or those that are also like the Chelsea football club or whatever. I'll talk to them, but not them. I'll talk to them, but not them. I'll join groups I want to join, but not these other groups. And there's so much division that if we're going to be a community, 
We need to make every effort. Make every effort to maintain unity in the spirit. Revival falls on unity. Transformation, the blessing of God, the favor of God falls on unity. David writes in Psalm 133, 1 to 3, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robe. It is the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is to dwell in unity there The Lord has commanded his blessing. What is revival? Revival is the blessing of God being manifested on the earth in our community. Revival is transformation in our marriages, in our families, and in our community. Transformation in our schools and government and media and so on and so forth. Transformation. It's the blessing of God falls on unity. It is like oil running down Aaron's beard. Aaron represents the the priests. So David is saying it's, it's like oil of anointing running down the beard of the priests. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I want to be anointed with oil because I'm the pastor. And God said this. This is the royal priesthood. All of you, all of you are included in this. Unity in community is like an oil flowing down from heaven over your life. And there it says, it says, there the Lord has commanded his blessing. The Lord has spoken his blessing. The Lord has spoken his favor. The Lord has spoken his healing. The Lord has spoken restoration and wholeness and transformation. And then he says it's like the dew of Hermon on the mountains of Zion. Hermon is in the far north of Israel. And there it is mountainous. And it is lush and it is green and it is beautiful and it is snow-capped most of the year. And Hermon, when it melts, that water leads into the Jordan River. 
and flows throughout Israel. And 300 kilometers from Hermon is Zion, Jerusalem. So what happens in Hermon makes its way to Zion, which is, Jerusalem is drier than dry, like you, it is dry. If you sneezed, you'd probably grow a plant where you sneezed, because it's that dry. And what he's saying is, is unity, it begins to flow into the dry places. When there is unity, it is like the dew of Hermon flowing down to those dry places. And it saturates them. How many know that it may be lush in B.C.? It may be green in B.C. We've got mountains all around us. We've got snow all around us. This is some of the lush. I mean, I hate the rain. It rains so much. Many days I'm like, Lord, I live on a farm too. So it's, Lord, please just stop the rain. It is so rainy here. But the church is dry. The community is dry, cracked, broken. And I I believe that our unity can saturate those places. I believe what happens here will affect there. That the community we have, the unity we have, filled with humility and gentleness and forgiveness and love, can saturate and water the driest places in our communities. And this place can be like Mount Hermon, which also happened to be where Jesus was transfigured. Pretty cool. But in this place, what falls here will run out of the doors through the streets and lives will be transformed. Look for 1% that you agree on with someone and put 100% of your effort into it. Look for 1% that you admire in someone 
and put 100% of your effort into it. Look for the areas of connection with one another and make every effort to maintain unity. How good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to live in unity. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of communion in just a moment. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. And over the next few weeks, I want to share about the fivefold ministry gifts of Jesus apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And I felt, though, that this, this unity is so important to focus on and to kind of seal in the spirit. And so our time of communion is going to be one of looking at this unity within community um, with one another. I'm going to pray and then... Greg Baker is going to lead us in um, communion. Father, I thank you that you are here, that you, first of all, want community with us. Oh, Lord. Wow. I'm just amazed that you would choose us as your body, that you would want to pour out your blessing upon us as a community, Lord. I thank you that you have commanded your blessing to places that are unified, Lord. And I pray that we would be that place, Lord. I pray that we would be the community that invites your presence, Lord, that invites your blessing, Lord, not for us, but for this community that we might reach the driest places, the most broken places, the most broken relationships, Lord, you might use us, Lord, as conduits of that blessing in this community. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.